Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. We're excited to be in our fourth year. It's been a labor of love that now needs your support. We urge you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, or make a donation so we may continue to inspire women to age with purpose, resilience, and self-care. Visit womenover70.com and join today. Our guest today is Susan Weininger. Susan is 78. She grew up in the Detroit area and moved to Chicago in 1965. She was introduced to us by a mutual friend, Dr. Gail Mendes, also an educator. Gail and Susan met when they were both on the faculty of Roosevelt University. Susan is an art historian whose concentration on art is from the first half of the 20th century. She studies specific artists in depth to understand their lives, and that leads to a better understanding of their art. One example is Gertrude Abercrombie, who died in 1977. Susan curated a show on her work at the Elmhurst Museum, published a catalog, and was invited to publish a book on the artist. Susan continues to be called on and is currently working on a book of a private collection and is creating a retrospective for artist Don Don Baum. She has a lot of grandchildren and finds herself to be very busy. So Susan, welcome to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. We're happy to have you. Well, thank you for having me. There are so many questions we want to ask you. So let's start by telling us how you became interested in this specific period, the first half of the 20th century. And what satisfies you about it? Uh, I was trained in uh, the Renaissance and uh, Northern European Renaissance and Italian Renaissance art. And I um, began working at Roosevelt University and we had to, I had to teach everything. And I had uh, children, small children and I couldn't go to Europe to do research. I couldn't, uh, that just wasn't in the picture at that time. And my colleague, Don Baum, who I worked with, who's a wonderful, wonderful artist. I know you mentioned him in your introduction. He's a one, he was a wonderful man and a wonderful, interesting artist, was um, the artistic executor of Gertrude Abercrombie's estate, the artist who you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, And he asked me uh, in the late 70s, right after she died, whether I'd be interested in working on a little project uh, about her. And I thought, oh, this is great. Everything's here. I can work on it locally. And um, I began to work on Gertrude Abercrombie. I was able to um, go through all all of her archive which is at the um, uh, Smithsonian in the Archives of American Art via microfilm, which they were, which you can you can access through interlibrary loan. Mm-hmm. So I was able to to really do all of the research right here in the city. Plus, the beauty of it is that there were lots of not only her artwork right here locally, but there were lots of people who knew a lot about her, friends, uh, colleagues, and so forth, who I were, was able to interview at that time. 
And um, the Elmhurst exhibition of Gertrude's work, which was in 2018, oh. was not the first exhibition I worked on. Um, we did an exhibition in the early 90s on her work that was in uh, Springfield at the State Museum, which was the recipient of a lot of the things from her estate. And uh, at that time, the State Museum had an outpost gallery, which was in the Thompson Federal Building. Mm -hmm. And they, so the show traveled to Chicago. And through the work on Gertrude, I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but through no, the work on Gertrude, I got interested in the whole community of Chicago artists who I had no idea existed. You know, it was like opening a, a door. So I, I learned a lot. I had to sort of get a get a training in American art, which I didn't know a lot about. Um, and um, I learned a lot about the whole Chicago community. So I had a context then for Gertrude Abercrombie. And I began to work on some of the other artists in the in the community and to think about Chicago art and its development generally. So that was a long answer to your question. <laughs> Not a very interesting one. Thank you. And and so the community of American artists. So you, you let me step back for a moment. You said that that you had originally been interested in Italian Renaissance art. Yeah, Northern Renaissance art, really, with a sort of minor in Italian Renaissance. Is that what you were teaching? Well, I did teach. I taught that, but I I was called upon because we had tiny little department to teach everything. So I learned a lot because I was, you know, I was teaching things like Impressionism. I had to really learn about Impressionism. Um, it was a great opportunity, realize that. I, I look back on it. It was a terrific opportunity because mm -hmm. I did teach Northern Renaissance art and Italian Renaissance art, but I also taught all kinds of other things. Right. And so when you discovered this community of American artists, what did that do for you and 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 how how did you work with them? Well, it was really um, you know it it's American art, but what I was became particularly um, interested in and expert in at this point is Chicago art, which is a real niche. I mean, nobody was working on it. and so I had, you know, I was able to to do break the ground, really. Um, and there's still very few people. It is still uh, regional art is still a kind of niche. Um, Susan, can you describe uh, the Chicago art? What's unique about it or distinct distinctive other than the artists are from Chicago? <laughs> okay, I can. I think I can. Um, <laughs> And and I have to say that currently, um, regional art is being recognized. You know, the artists who worked in Chicago, because they were not in New York, and even they were not in California, and California is kind of a secondary art center in the United States. Um, art produced in these regional outposts was ignored. It was not considered first rate, mm -hmm. but 
if you look at it, um, you can see that there were some really, really interesting, creative um, artists who happened to stay in their regional centers. And I, this is not just Chicago. There are Cleveland had artists, you know, uh, Kansas City, um, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all of these places had a regional art community. But now, just, just very recently, art historians have begun to incorporate these artists into the larger history of American art. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it actually alters the history of American art. We have to look at American art differently because we see these other things that were going on. But I think that Chicago art does have a particular character. And if I had to uh, focus on one particular thing that I think is very interesting that um, developed in Chicago, it would be uh, the kind of a kind of uh, interest in fantasy or surrealism, and Gertrude Abercrombie is a representative of that of that kind of attitude. And Gertrude Abercrombie, although she worked in the pre, she worked from the pre-war period into several decades after World War II, um, was certainly someone who was who was recognized by the Chicago imagists, um, who were a group of artists who were maybe the first Chicago artists to um, become nationally and internationally recognized. This is a group of artists who flourished in the 60s, 70s, and on um, in uh, 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 probably particularly due to Don Baum's uh, promotion of them and curation of exhibitions of their work. Um, artists like Roger Brown, Carl Worsom, um, Christina Ramberg, um, uh, Jim Nutt, Ed Paschke. I don't know if those are familiar names to you, but these people were far well more well-known than the their... their um, earlier, the earlier generation of Chicago artists. Um, and, uh, but I think that they look back on particularly these uh, artists who were, uh, uh, surrealism is a word we use just to a general word. I don't mm -hmm. think that um, they were really surrealists, but uh, they were, they, they, they liked mystery, fantasy, uh, and there were many uh, people who fell into that category, at least partially. Some of them did other things as well, but um, in in pre-war Chicago. And many of them were women, which is really interesting. Mm. So what we see in Chicago is that women artists flourished, Black artists flourished. Um, there was the opportunity for these people because they were not under the rules that that uh, I think in major art centers, there was kind of hegemony. There were certain rules. There were certain things that you did. Um, so they they could head up. There was a lot more freedom, and there was an emphasis on individuality uh, in Chicago. 
that permitted them to work in a whole wide variety of ways. Um, Susan, are the are these artists being nationally recognized? Uh, um, well, Gertrude Abercrombie is the one who's gotten the most recognition, and I got to tell you, I you know it's sort of luck. It was uh, when Gertrude Abercrombie died in 1977. She was she was before her death very very aware of her legacy. Her will stated that any of the work that was in her possession in her estate should be given to um, uh, nonprofits or uh, museums, public institutions. Mm -hmm. She understood how important that was uh, for her legacy. And she even began to buy back work before she died mm -hmm. so that it would be in her estate. Mm -hmm. When Don Baum, who is the artistic executor of her estate, tried to give these works to certain museums, such as the Whitney Museum in New York, they wouldn't accept it. Why you could give her work away. And I tell you that because now her work has become so valuable um, that. Uh, you know, people are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for very tiny paintings, yeah. um, so, which is an issue of the art market, which I really, you know, is not about. It's not really about the value of art. It's about something else. But um, uh, what, she would why have been. Is that do you think that what what changed? I'll tell you what happened. A man named Dan Nadell who was worked who did some work on imagist artists the group of artists who who were who have gotten great fame and their their um value their monetary value has also risen uh, risen uh saw this exhibition in elmhurst at the elmhurst museum and he arranged for the exhibition to travel to new york mm. And um, it got reviewed in the New York Times. It was maybe the high moment of my 78 years <laughs> um, because Roberta Smith mentioned me in her review. She reviewed it very positively and people saw the exhibition. The work is the same work that was offered to the Whitney in 1977. It hasn't changed. The work hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. It is, it was always good. It was just that it was regional. It was considered small town. It wasn't produced in New York. Mm -hmm. And um, I and think she that had a, she was, had a benefactor um, in, in Nadell. Well, he was, he saw the value of her work. He saw, I mean, mm -hmm. he saw not the monetary value. He thought the work was really interesting. He was right. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was really interesting too. Um, uh, and 
the people who saw it in New York thought it was very interesting. And this the work was at um, presented at a, a gallery. Some of it was for sale. Some of it was privately owned. Um, and the prices from that moment, the prices began to, the value of her work increased. In fact, the Whitney Museum finally bought a painting and they had to spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> and, um, I think it, I think, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry they didn't accept one in 1977 or 1978. I think they, uh, they missed their opportunity, but I'm glad to know that the Whitney Museum now has a piece of her work that will be, um, that will be available to future viewers. Mm -hmm. um, much of the work that's being sold now is being sold to private collectors. It would be nice to see it going into museums, um, but museums are are strapped for money. They can't afford it. A lot of their a lot of their acquisitions now are through donation. Um, Susan, but, can you tell us about the book that you're working on? Your private the private collection. I can tell you about it. Um, uh, a private collector in Chicago who has a really stellar collection of Chicago art um, from 1896 to 2007. Mm. Um, but focusing on the years that I know most about, you know, from the interwar years till the end of end of World War II, um, uh, is is privately um, uh, putting this book out. So it's, and I, I, I just, I don't want to say too much more about it, okay. but it's a beautiful collection of Chicago art. Mm -hmm. And it's, we've almost completed the work on the book. Um, it's, uh, uh, I'm, I am working right now on the introductory essay, which I should mm -hmm. finish, hopefully. Uh -huh. a day or two because I just got to finish it. Um, and uh, Are you and still teaching, Susan? I want to say, are you kidding? <laughs> right everyone, everyone knows how old I am. Um, I, I have been retired for 14 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was... Uh, in when I turned six, I intended to retire when I turned sixty-five, and um, my I had uh, elderly parents who were uh, needed a lot of attention. They lived in Detroit. I was going to Detroit about once a week, mm -hmm. um, and wow. just to make sure everything was going okay. And you know, as my husband said, if you hadn't retired, you would have had to retire. So um, I, the university made a, a general offer to people who were going to be 65, who were 64, um, for, to give them a year's salary. Uh -huh. And I thought, mm, I can't turn this down. So I retired when I was 64. Uh -huh. And my, I was at the hospital. My daughter-in-law was having a baby. And um, she was in labor and we were in Highland Park. We were at the hospital and I got a call from the 
what what office is it the the office at the university that I had to come and sign these papers and I went from the hospital in Highland Park downtown signed the papers came back to the hospital <laughs> to, um, to see my granddaughter born oh. who, will be, who will be 15 in January so that's about nice nice way to retire yes yeah and then I moved my parents here and I was able to see them every day uh until they both passed away um so that was and that was really a very important yes. time for me and I would not have been able to do that if I hadn't been retired so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yet you continue to work on art history right I I have continued to work I've been very lucky because um not everybody can do something that they really really love doing mm -hmm. um, it isn't possible but I've I've been so blessed to be able to have this work to do and um to be learning so much from it because while I sometimes can't remember people who I the names of people who I think I know very well um I've been able to keep my mind alert and this on this track anyway um so I think it's a really really positive thing mm -hmm. for sure for sure do you have um any other interests that have developed since you've retired uh, I can tell one thing that I did when I first retired um I um I can tell you the whole story of how it happened. I have a friend who lived very close to the Ogden school. She, she, and she, there had been an anti-Semitic incident at the school where uh, some students said, some students were bullying a Jewish student and said it was too bad that he hadn't burned up in the gas chambers or something, something terrible like that. And there was a local school council meeting and this was this was someone who I you know an old friend of mine. We belonged to the same synagogue, and I've been I was very very active in the synagogue. And um, she invited me and another friend of hers uh, to go to the school council meeting where this whole episode was being discussed, um, just as kind of support, I think. And um, the other friend was a docent at the Illinois Holocaust Museum, and. During the school council meeting is conducted where you know in a way that everyone who's present is able to um, make a comment you sign up on a sheet and and then at the end of the meeting they invite people to make comments people have signed up to make comments and my friend's friend signed up and wasn't sure that he was going to speak but after he heard the discussion he um uh, he decided that he would just get up and say say something. And he got up and he said, we all know how the Holocaust ended. This is how it began. Mm. And I was so moved by that. It was almost like the sky opened up to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I know what I have to do. I have to go train as a docent at the museum. And I did. And I was very active as a docent until the beginning of the pandemic when I became 
well, the museum closed for a while. Mm -hmm. But when it reopened, I was still a little reluctant to uh, go to the museum. I don't know if you've ever been to the been to the I museum. have, yes, yes. But you know what the galleries are like. They're very yes. small and crowded. And when school kids come in, uh, it's even more crowded. And um, I just could not imagine screaming at them through a mask with all the other noise going around because we used to have headsets. Now the headsets are back. I almost don't have an excuse except I'm too busy. Um, the headsets are back. Um, and I do intend to go back to, to the museum because I really, really loved it. Uh, and I felt um, this connection with the younger generation who are the future, you know, and if mm -hmm. we don't, if we don't prepare the future, um, we really haven't done our jobs. I mean, I know that many people have children and we're hoping, we hope that we have instilled in them um, the right values to, to um, ensure our future is good. But um, it, it was really, really a great opportunity. And mm -hmm. I, I value my time at the museum and I really, I want, would like to go back. It's this a wonderful one. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. This is the yeah. Illinois Holocaust Museum in Skokie, Illinois. You're referring to? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the Ogden School, I presume, is in Chicago. The Ogden School is in Chicago, and it is um, not just the. It's called Ogden, but it's really it really consists of three different schools going from grammar school through high school. Oh. I don't know the exact. Uh, set up, but the this was the incident that happened was not at the grammar school. It was at um, it was at the middle school or the high school. It was older kids who were mm -hmm. doing those things. Um, yes, but so, it's a, it's like a three three part school. So, mm -hmm. so Susan, uh, you're seventy eight. Do you do you think at all about your own aging, or are you planning for the future in any way? Um, I just, and I've been putting this off for quite a long time, but I just bought cemetery plots. Uh, so yeah, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> um, I hope I don't have to use them for a long time, but I thought I just I don't want not. my children to have to, you know, we want, we want our children to, to not have to make decisions that we can make. Right. I have, um, I am a member of a Hever Kadisha. Do you know what that is? Maybe you don't. Please know describe it. for our audience. The Hefer Kadisha is um, a um, group of people who prepare, um, ritually prepare uh, in the Jewish tradition, uh, for people for a person for for burial. Mm -hmm. So there is a it's a yes. it's a very uh, moving. Thing I became a member when we first established our Hever Kadisha at Anshe Emmet Synagogue in 2008. I've been, uh, I was terrified, and that's why I decided to do it. Um, and I found that it's a very, very um, rewarding experience. Nobody can thank you for doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad to know that I will have that. Um, 
have a Havakadisha available to me when my time comes. Mm-hmm. Can you spell Havakadisha for us? C-H-E-V-R-A-K-A-D-I-S-H-A. It means holy brotherhood or holy sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we do, we do, um, Men do men and women do women. And i that's an issue. The issue of uh, trans people uh, is being discussed. I, you know, we're, we're approaching that. So um, uh, at any rate, it's... Um, all right, so I'm t- thinking uh-huh. about, uh, aging. I do think about aging. We moved about a year and a half ago from a big unwieldy house to uh, an apartment that's on one floor Mm -hmm. so I will not kill myself doing the laundry hopefully Mm -hmm. uh, because of one of my big fears was falling down the the basement Mm -hmm. Um, and um, I feel like that's we've it was I I carried my husband kicking and screaming out of the house Mm -hmm. Um, but um, I think he's happy that we did made the move too Um, so that's another preparation and we live in a building that is uh all old people um it's an old building filled with old people and we they're very nice people and we've been so happy to be here <laughs> so and it's not four a, blocks not away from, it's, it's not four blocks away from where we lived so it's also familiar is it senior citizen housing or no it's not it's yeah. not it's yeah. not officially, uh-huh. <laughs> officially. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, time goes very quickly. And unfortunately, we are out of time. But this has been so interesting, Susan. Well, I feel like I blab, blab, blab. So um, (laughs) no, no. Thank you for your patience. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank you, Susan. Really nice to meet both of you. Thank you. So at the beginning of the show, we urged you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund. Aging Reimagined Circle supports our online monthly interactive programs. So lend your voice to these probing discussions. Visit womenover70.com to join and make a difference. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.